Trinity Central. We exist to make God central to our lives and our world. You are listening to a recording of one of our Sunday messages. For more information, please go to trinitycentral.org. It's so wonderful to come this morning. Last week, I uh, talked about the fact that we're in a spiritual battle and uh, talked about the fact that uh, Jesus on the cross made a public spectacle of the principalities and powers, and he led them in his triumph, uh, and uh, that Jesus has conquered uh, every demonic thing, every principality and power, that Jesus Christ reigns over all. He is exalted. The Father has given him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every tongue shall confess that he is Lord, and every knee shall bow, and that's every knee Uh, that is seen, and that is every knee that is unseen. And so as we come to Jesus this morning, uh, as that, that, the, the significance of that word, I think that Mark felt this week that God is doing something among us right now of, of the end of winter and the beginning of spring. I, I think there's something that wants to rise in our hearts towards Jesus and say, yes, Lord, do what you are, do, it, do what you're speaking of. And... Um, So this morning, I'm, I'm continuing a, a, a three-part mini-series within our Alive in Christ series, and, and we're talking about deliverance. We're talking about uh, how we walk in freedom. This morning, we're talking about the fact that freedom is our birthright if we are in Christ, Jesus. And, uh, and so we're going to unpack that a little bit this morning. Um, I just want to say, if you uh, missed last week... Uh, last week is really important in terms of the context that I laid. I'm going to assume the context that I laid last week in what I'm speaking on this morning. So uh, if you haven't listened to last week's message, please go back and have a listen to that. Uh, it will hopefully fill in some of the gaps of what I'm going to leave unsaid uh, for the sake of time this morning. Uh, but just to say, we, Cezzy and I were... Uh, involved in pastoring a church in London uh, before moving to Vancouver. And uh, I remember one day a lovely girl in our church asked to come and see us. Uh, and uh, as we sat and talked with her and prayed with her, uh, she just began to speak about how she'd been experiencing uh, real torment in her soul. And um, as we prayed, it emerged that she had uh, experienced a sexual assault while on a holiday one day. And um, as we prayed that God would come and heal the wound, uh, she suddenly manifested. And we, uh, over the next few minutes, cast an unclean spirit out of her uh, in the name of Jesus. And over the, the years uh, that followed, She just lived in a wonderful freedom from that sense of torment that she had experienced before then. And I think uh, one of the things that God wants to do in, uh, in the world is set people free. Jesus said, I came to destroy the works of the evil one. I came to set people free. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And Jesus uh, loves 
to bring us into freedom. Now, just in the last week, here in our church family, we've seen two people set free from demonic oppression. Last week, we heard of two uh, people being healed. And a, a couple of weeks before that, we heard the testimonies of people being baptized. Now, we should, we should be rejoicing over that. Hallelujah. Uh, Jesus referred to those three things. He referred to the healing of the sick, the preaching of the good news to the poor, and to the casting out of demons as signs of the kingdom. This, if you've got eyes to see, what you, what you can look at and see that my kingdom is breaking in to this world. And these are the signs of the kingdom. And so we want to be praying that God will do more of that among us. We want to be expecting more of his power. We want to be expecting him setting people free. We want to be expecting him moving in healing power and bringing people who don't know Jesus into a beautiful a saving relationship with him. That is what we are believing God for. And all God's people said, okay, we're believing God for that, aren't we? We're believing God's on the move. God's kingdom is breaking out among us. Now, last week we saw that the devil and his demons uh, seek to dominate and to destroy That's their mission. That's their intention. And we saw that in contrast to that, our God who created us wants to restore us and wants to relate to us and wants to pour his love into us. And so whenever we come to talking about setting people free, what we're talking about is setting people free in the love and the goodness of God. Uh, the, the whole context of this, even as we talk about warfare, even as we talk about battle, we're talking about a God who is fiercely in love with his people, fiercely in love with his creation, loves us, pursues us, seeks to bring us into freedom. That's the heart of God. And so any uh, engaging with uh, demonic powers, etc., that we're doing, we're doing it in the heart of knowing that God's passion is to set us free into knowing him and having a loving relationship with him. Uh, I just want to uh, recommend a book for those of you who would like to understand more of this subject. Dave Nevenish's Outstanding Demolishing Strongholds. Can't recommend it highly enough. Uh, that will cover far more territory that we're able to cover in these three talks. But I really would recommend that to you. Okay, the first thing I just, I'm going to kind of do a teaching this morning, but what, where I want to land this morning is taking some time just to pray and to invite the Holy Spirit to come and really to respond to that work, that, Mark, that word that Mark brought, uh, that God wants to bring freedom, that God wants to bring us out of winter, and that for some of us here, today is a significant day for you. Uh, that today God wants to do something for you, which is about the end of winter, and it is about the bringing of spring, of, of new life, of promises, of things that, that, that go dormant through the winter. See, it's not that things die in that sense. I mean, I guess some things do die in the winter, but actually the things that are long-lasting, the things that uh, are of God in our lives can be dormant through these seasons. But actually, as we come into spring, we suddenly discover, oh, there was stuff there all along. As we're walking down the road from our house, we can see these uh, 
bulbs and perennials starting to emerge. I think I've got that right. Is it a perennial? <laughs> Forgive me. My knowledge of, of green things is so terrible. Um, but these bulbs coming up and the, 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 the sign of spring, God wants to do that for us. Now, uh, there is an important link between driving out demons and right understanding. It's so important that we understand that we need to think right. Last week, we saw that uh, setting people free was part of Jesus' manifesto. He came to set people free. He announced it at the beginning of, of his ministry, the, sovereign, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news, uh, to set the captives free, to... Uh, uh, and so Jesus came to set captives free. He came to preach good news to the poor. He came to bind up the brokenhearted, to heal the sick. But he also came to set captives free. And so in Mark 1 verse 38, we read, And Jesus said to them, Let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. So Jesus immediately began to act on this manifesto. He began to move from place to place, preaching the good news of the kingdom and driving out demons. Uh, out of God's people. But notice the importance of, of teaching in Jesus' ministry. Uh, in, in Mark 6, verse 34, it says, When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them. It literally means he was moved in his guts. He, he just felt this ache for this gathered crowd. And, he, and it says, Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Uh, Matthew, in his uh, in his gospel adds that they were harassed. And, and the people of our world are harassed like sheep without a shepherd. And, and Jesus looks at them and he says, oh, I feel such compassion. So what does he do? He began to teach them. It's really important that we, that we see this link. Sometimes we want, uh, we, we just think that, that, that our discipleship, you know, if, if we could just have the power stuff. No, Jesus saw that they were harassed. What you need is to be taught. You need to understand some stuff. There is a link between being set free and what we understand. And when we set people free, we must teach them to think right. Because last week, as I said, the spiritual battle doesn't happen out there somewhere uh, in, in, in outer space. It doesn't happen uh, really in our offices and, and, and our homes. And our, it happens between our two ears. It happens in our minds. And so it is so important that we think right. In Romans 12 verse 2, Paul writes, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So it's our minds that need to change, it's our understanding, it's our thinking that needs to change in order for us to walk in the transforming power of Jesus. And we need to eject unclean spirits, but we also need to tear down the strongholds that they inhabit. I started to explain strongholds last week, uh, and I'll pick that up in just a moment. Now, before I get into the meat of that, uh, people asked a question. A couple of questions came out of my talk last week that people have fed back. One, can a Christian have a demon? Um, and so I'll, I'll look at addressing that this morning. And the second thing is, uh, you say the battle is in the mind, 
How then do we understand uh, spiritual warfare on a global or a strategic level? Uh, and I won't get to that today. I might get to it next week. If not, uh, we'll write something on it so that people can engage with that a little bit more. So let's come to this question. Can a Christian have a demon? A couple of preliminary comments here. I think it's helpful to speak of uh, demonic possession and oppression differently or separately. Possession speaks of somebody who's completely controlled by something. Uh, possession implies ownership. Uh, it's, it's very extreme. Um, scripture itself doesn't actually ever use the word possession. It uses a number of different words to describe uh, demonization. It talks about a, a man who was demonized or a woman who had a demon or it, it talks about uh, a person with an unclean spirit or it talks about uh, an un, uh, a spirit entered. So it uses a number of different phrases to describe this. Uh, the word possession uh, really is, is a heading that you'll find in some Bible translations um, not in the text, particularly uh, from the Greek, uh, but I think it's still helpful to understand that it is impossible for a Christian to be possessed. It is impossible for somebody who is born again in Jesus of the Holy Spirit to be possessed by something other than God himself. Uh, and, and God, in that sense, God doesn't possess us. We belong to him. We are loved by him. We are his. But there is no dominating of us by Jesus. There is a, a gradual transformation that happens in us through the work of Jesus in us. But that doesn't mean that a Christian cannot be oppressed that we cannot have ground in our lives that is, uh, in one sense, given authority to the enemy to land and operate in our lives. The, uh, in, in that sense, you know, if we, and I'll unpack this a little bit more, but if we understand it, when we sin or when we carry strongholds in our lives, they're, they're like landing points for the evil one to work. And I'm going to just unpack that in a moment. But we, we need to understand that, that when we come to faith in Jesus, one of the things that needs to happen is wrong ways of thinking. Strongholds need to be demolished. They need to be taken down. Or we can continue to live with them in the same way that we can sin in our Christian lives and we can create places where the enemy begins uh, to inhabit. So for example, Ananias and Sapphira were a couple in the church in Jerusalem and they, uh, they got greedy. Um, they, they lied to the church uh, about their finances, about a gift that they had given. And Peter comes to them and he says, he uses this phrase, he says, Satan has filled your heart. Now he actually uses the same phrase that we would use to talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, Satan has filled your heart. He's talking to a believing couple uh, there in that moment. And, and judgment falls on this couple uh, in a very significant or severe way. So, let me put all of this into context for a moment, because I think it's important, particularly if, you, uh, if you're here this morning and you would say, I, I wouldn't necessarily identify myself as a Christian. I wouldn't necessarily think of myself as somebody who's uh, put his trust in Jesus or trusted Jesus for salvation. 
Um, many people think of Christianity as a set of laws and regulations, like the Ten Commandments, that Christians are people who should follow the Ten Commandments, the, 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 the laws of the Bible. And so you would reason that a Christian is someone who does certain things. They, they follow these laws, they go to church, maybe they read the Bible. But this isn't how Jesus Christ defines what it means to be a Christian. Jesus Christ defines what it means to be a Christian as somebody who has put their trust in Jesus, as somebody who's come into relationship with Him and has trusted Him to deal with their past and their sin. A, a, a Christian, rather than following rules in that sense, understands something about themselves. They understand, I am innately sinful, and I can't save myself from that. And so uh, the difference in that sense between a Christian and a non-Christian is simply that the Christian knows I am sinful, and they come to Jesus and they say, I need your help. I need you to save me. I need you to pay for my sin. I need you to deal with my past so that I can live for you. And, and, and literally, a Christian says to Jesus, you can have my life. My life is now yours. I now follow you. That's what the Bible sees a Christian to be. It's not really a rule follower. It's somebody who comes and knows Jesus. Now, in that moment when a Christian is born again, do they become sinless and perfect? Well, uh, I'm sure most of you know at least one Christian in your life, and you can testify that they do not become sinless and perfect in that moment. But what does happen is they begin a journey with Jesus where gradually, bit by bit by bit, they're working out uh, what it means to be more and more and more like Jesus in their lives. So the difference between a non-Christian and a Christian is not, uh, is not rule following, it's repentance. It's understanding relationship with Jesus that's being restored into relationship with God. Uh, and part of that then is this whole sense of beginning to move into a place of experiencing freedom in our lives. Christians and non-Christians alike can uh, have ground in their lives that the enemy can land on, can hold. Now, I said the message is called Freedom is the Believer's Birthright. And I just want to refer to a story uh, from Matthew's Gospel, um, uh, chapter 15, verse 22. And behold, a Canaanite woman, so, so a Canaanite woman means that she's not of Israel. She's not of the people of God. She's a Gentile woman. She comes uh, from that region, came out, and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. So just notice how she refers to him, okay? The, the words she's using are words of faith in Jesus uh, as the Messiah. Uh, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for it, she is crying out after us. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. This is Jesus commenting uh, to, to his, his disciples. Uh, my, my mission was to start with the house of Israel, with God's people. But she came and knelt before Jesus, saying, Lord, help me. And so now Jesus tests her. He answered, it is not right to take 
the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, oh, woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as, your des- as you desire. And her daughter was instantly healed. So what's going on here? Is Jesus being cruel and callous? No, he's not. What's happening is that Jesus makes this statement about the children, the children's bread. What is the children's bread? It's their birthright. What he's saying is you're coming and you're asking me for freedom for your daughter, but it's not your birthright. It's the birthright of the people of God. Freedom belongs to them. And she comes, and, and so, so he tests her with this question, and she responds with this beautiful statement of faith. Even the dogs eat the crumbs under the master's table. Help me, O Lord, she says. What's going on? She's expressing faith in him. Now, it's interesting, and this is just an aside, but it's interesting to note that there are only two times that Jesus marvels at people's faith positively in the New Testament, and both of them are Gentiles, this lady and the centurion, where Jesus says, faith like this I've not seen in all Israel. Okay? So Jesus is looking for faith in our hearts, but he's un- there, there's an understanding that part of what, God, what Jesus came to do was to give freedom to the children of God. That's part, that, that it's our birthright. It's, it's something Jesus has come to bestow on us. Now, I want to ask the question, how does the devil gain access to our lives? Ephesians 4 verse 26 says, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Other translations use the phrase, do not give the devil an opportunity. I imagine that none of us would particularly want to give the devil an opportunity in our lives. I imagine that none of us would want to give him a foothold, a place to find purchase in our lives. So how do we understand what Paul is saying here? The first thing that I think is important to point out is that he says, in your anger, do not sin. In other words, anger is not necessarily sin. Anger is an emotion. We all feel angry. We feel angry when we're disappointed. We feel angry when we experience injustice. We, we feel anger sometimes when things don't go the way we want, to, uh, want them to or we expect them to. But, Paul says, unchecked anger leads us into sin, and anger which festers, in other words, don't let the sun go down on your anger, when we allow anger to fester in our hearts, it produces something in us, which Paul calls a foothold for Satan to take advantage of. So when we allow something in our hearts, when we allow something in our spirits to grow, uh, a sinful thing, bitterness, anger, resentment, Rage, when it begins to grow in us, it provides a landing strip for the enemy in our lives. And with it come other things. Okay, so that foothold can grow into a stronghold. Now, uh, Proverbs 21 verse 22 says, A wise man scales the city of the mighty and brings down the stronghold in which they trust. 
Last week I, I spoke about strongholds and I, I talked about the fact that this word stronghold is simply uh, a fortress or a castle uh, and um, it's, a, it's, a, it's an area of strength in our thinking that dominates, okay? Now, this proverb, Proverbs 21 verse 22, uh, pictures a castle or a stronghold in the middle of a city. So an enemy comes into the city, it breaches the city wall, and what happens is the people of that city run into the stronghold. They, they retreat into the strong tower. It was interesting that James, out of the psalm, this morning he read about the Lord is our refuge, our strong tower. It's exactly the same image that's being used there, that God is our stronghold. God is our refuge. God is the one that we should run into. But what the, what the, the um, uh, writer of Proverbs is talking about here is he says, listen, when you take down a city, make sure that you also destroy the stronghold. Make sure you also rip that thing down. And it's a great image for us as we begin to think about what happens when the gospel comes into our lives. It breaches our walls. It kind of breaks through into our hearts. We begin to understand, wow, Jesus is who he said he was. We begin to understand the work that he did on the cross, forgiving us, freeing us from our sin. But what's he, what he's saying is, listen, make sure you don't. It, the gospel doesn't just hit the outer walls of your life. It doesn't just breach that. Make sure you tear down the ways of thinking that inhabit, that, that inhabit your thinking, the, the ways of thinking that in one sense stand in defiance to the gospel. There must be in our discipleship an attack on our thinking to tear down old ways of thinking that are disobedient to Jesus. So we talked about that last week. We talked about uh, how God has given us divine power to demolish strongholds. And we need to own, uh, we need to take captive every thought, make it obedient to Christ. Now, a stronghold in our thinking does not necessarily imply that we are oppressed by a spirit. A stronghold in our thinking is simply a way of thinking. So we talked about this last week, an imagination or an argument that raises itself up against the knowledge of Christ. It's a, it's a way of thinking that resists the gospel, that resists understanding what Jesus has done for us, who Jesus is, what Jesus has for us. But a demon cannot inhabit ground in our lives without a stronghold that resists Christ. Does that make sense? You can have strongholds without being oppressed by a demon, but you can't be oppressed without it attaching to a stronghold in some sense. So when we cast oppressive spirits out from people, we must also demolish the stronghold in the mind that that spirit inhabited. So we must teach people. We must bring every thought captive and make it obedient to Jesus. Okay, do you understand? Do you understand how important it is that when we're dealing with del deliverance, we're not dealing... Sometimes we have these kind of deliverance ministries that set themselves up and people just kind of go out to them. We need to understand that's, that can be very dangerous, actually, because what, what, what we learn in Scripture is that it's about our thinking. We need to be taught right as well as helped into freedom. The two must go together if we are to stay in freedom. So where do strongholds come from? Three things. Sin or past sin. Secondly, our emotions, things that we've experienced or things that we're experiencing. Number three, our culture 
or family background. So, strongholds created through past sinful actions. I'm going to rattle through some of these things just really quickly, just to kind of give a picture, because I want to get to us praying. Um, Strongholds created through past sinful actions. Any engagement with the occult, witchcraft, Ouija boards, tarot cards, seances, spiritualism, clairvoyances, uh, consulting mediums, astral projection, transcendental meditation, Freemasonry. Um, These are all engagements with the demonic realm, and these are all places that the enemy uses to gain access to our hearts. Witchcraft, anything that deals in ungodly oaths, anything that seeks to exert control over others, anything that seeks to place curses on people, uh, that is uh, ultimately from the devil and uh, is often a gateway or a pathway into our lives for demonic things. And occultism and witchcraft, when we repent of it, one of the things we need to do is renounce it as well. We need to actually renounce the power of that. We need to, and, and, and if there are practices that have come out of that in our lives, we also need to stop those practices and put new godly habits in place of them. Secondly, sexual sin, and this is, a, I think, a really significant one, particularly in our culture, um, 1 Corinthians 6, Paul talks about when you sin sexually, you don't just, it's not like other sins outside of your body. When you sin sexually, you sin against your body. There's something about uh, kind of coming into our body uh, that sexual sin does. And w- the worship of sex is obviously very significant in our culture. Promiscuity is often a way for the demonic into our lives. And so we need to understand that when we come to faith in Jesus, uh, we probably need to pray through some of those relationships that we've had in the past. Uh, often there can be soul ties or, or ties that, where there's transference of spirits uh, in those relationships. We need to have those things cut off. Uh, And we obviously need to form new, healthy, godly relationships uh, in place of those uh, unhealthy relationships. Selling sex, when one sells sells, uh, oneself, that is often an opening to the the demonic. Pornography, uh, it's an ever-increasing bondage that kills true intimacy. It replaces it with lust and physical release, and, and the trend of pornography is more and more and worse and worse. It's like this uh, sli- slippery slope sliding into deeper and deeper bondage, and pornography needs to be handled with openness. There needs to be open conversation about it, uh, and that needs to be regular open conversation. Uh, there needs to be uh, power in that in prayer, and there also needs to be regular confrontational accountability in that. So there needs to be a, a cultivating of uh, uh, of accountable relationships for guys that. And I say guys, sometimes it's girls as well, but particularly I think this is a a, a guy thing. There needs to be uh, regular confrontational accountability that they're fostering in their lives. Uh, Sexual sin often comes with deception. I've seen this a number of times where there's been adultery, uh, that that actually it's not just that you, you have to deal with the demonic stuff around 
uh, and the stronghold around the sexual sin itself, but often it comes with a lot of lying, hiddenness uh, that then has to be exposed and dealt with as well. So uh, it's, it's not fun dealing with this stuff, is it? It's just, frankly, it's nasty, uh, but we do need to talk about it. One of the other sin areas is rebellion. Nobody tells me what to do. You see that spirit in some people? Uh, it begins to shape our engagement in discipleship. Don't you tell me what to do. There's, there's a, a, a rebellious heart, and rebellion can actually become the strength of people's personality. Uh, and, and that needs to be cast down. Remember what we talked about last week. Submit to God Resist the devil and he will flee from you. It doesn't just say resist the devil. It says submit to God. Submission to God is the start uh, of our walking with Jesus, but it's also the start of our freedom in these things. Submission and rebellion, totally uh, opposite uh, from one another. Um, You know, greed, I mentioned Ananias and Sapphira uh, earlier as an example. Um, I remember a, a woman who came to us who was deeply, deeply tormented um, and we prayed for her, and as we were praying for her, the Holy Spirit just uh, led us to ask a question about um, abortion, and what had come out was that she'd had an abortion, and, um, and so she walked through a process of confessing and repenting of that, and, uh, and she, again, we, we saw a manifestation and saw her released, set free from that demonic, tormenting spirit. Um, uh, so, so I think, you know, there are other things that we could get into, but just to give you a sense of this, secondly, strongholds that come through emotions. Um, just, do you remember the story of, of Jesus and the woman with the issue of blood? So, so she presses through the crowd and she touches him. She touches his garment. And in that moment, she's physically healed. What does Jesus do? He calls her out, doesn't he? Why does he call her out? Does he want to make a spectacle of her? Is Jesus being insensitive? No, what Jesus is doing is he's, who touched me? Lord, there are so many people around you. (laughs) No power went out of me. Somebody touched me. She confesses, I touched you. And then he says, he calls her daughter. You're made well. What's he doing? For all those years with her issue of blood, she couldn't attend the temple. She was rejected. She was cast out from, from the heart of worship in her people. What's Jesus doing? He's restoring her into that. Okay, so, so when, we're, when we're walking through these things, what we're understanding is that what we're doing is we're restoring people into things. We're restoring people into health, into what God has for us. Now, rejection, uh, I'm not wanted, people won't accept me. I think rejection is one of uh, Satan's most powerful weapons. Uh, Satan himself is a rejected being. Adam experienced rejection when he was removed from Eden we need to bring clarity that Jesus accepts us. One of our most powerful pastoral weapons is the acceptance and the adoption of God. 
God says to people who feel rejected, people who struggle with rejection, and actually out of that rejection, some of the signs that we can look for, struggling to form strong, ongoing relationships, people who self-reject, people who reject others before they can be rejected, um, Deep negativity, uh, needing to understand the, the reality of, of our identity and God's calling on us. Uh, the inability to receive correction because correction is even received as rejection. These are some of the symptoms of it. What we need to do is we need to teach into that. You are loved. You are chosen. You are accepted. You are adopted by God as a child of his own. He loves you. He's passionate about you. He wants you. And that message needs to completely overwhelm. It needs to, we need to tear down that stronghold of rejection and we need to pray and replace it with an understanding of the acceptance of Jesus. And in my own uh, experience, this is the one, one of the most significant things that we deal with over and over and over. Passivity, uh, again, something that particularly affects men, I think, uh, can, can be a stronghold and it can lead to demonic uh, stuff. Fear. Fear is contagious. It's like faith, actually, in that sense. Faith is contagious. You're around somebody who's full of faith. Doesn't it rub off on you? You begin to feel the joy of being around somebody who's full of faith. Fear is the same. It's contagious. Um, when, when God calls Gideon uh, and he calls it, gets, says, you know, choose an army, what does he say to him? Send anyone who's fearful home. I don't want that fear infecting the army. I want you to release it, get rid of that, okay? So, and then finally, just to say, oh, anger and forgive, unforgiveness. As I said earlier on, anger isn't necessarily a sin, but, but when there's unforgiveness, resentment, oh, it becomes a stronghold. Things can land onto that. And then finally, just to say, strongholds can come through emotional pain. Um, and I think... In, in our world, there's, there's so much obvious abuse and trauma. Um, and one of the, you know, the, the devil is not fair. When people are impacted by abuse, when they're abused, often there is a transference of spirits in that process. There, there, is, there are spirits that enter in at, at, and we need to, to set them free. It's not fair. It's not fair. But we need to Deal with that, set them free uh, of that. Finally, culture, and I'm, I'm really just going to, oh man, there's so much to talk about in terms of culture. I'm just going to rattle through this. In our culture, um, scientific rationalism, intellect, intellect and analysis over faith, all right? Actually, we don't realize it. We, we're like fish. Does a fish know what water is? Every single person in this room, you have a culture. You grew up with a culture, a family culture, a national culture. You, you, you swim in it every day, and so you don't even know it. But every single person in this room has a culture. You grew up in a culture. Uh, in our Western worldview, uh, the spiritual world is considered irrelevant, and, and maybe that's one of the reasons why so few churches are working at setting people free. Christian preaching is often primarily with logic and argument as opposed to resting on God's power. We find consumerism coming into the church. The gospel and the church are there to meet my needs. 
The gospel is preached to felt needs, but, but actually the gospel is for much deeper needs. It's for your sin. It's for dealing with your eternity. The gospel wants to get to those areas, not just to our felt needs. Okay? Celebrity culture, which then come, it distorts and devalues servant leadership. Individualism, or at best, the, the nuclear family. This is why so many churches in North America struggle to get people caught up in mission together, in life together. Personal fulfillment in my ministry uh, and in my life becomes uh, sort of an idolatrous pursuit. My personal salvation, my personal walk with God, my personal ministry. We lose perspective on what God's called us into. It's a cultural stronghold, friends. Okay? The stronghold of family control. Um, Lines of control can run in families. Uh, We can control others through anger. Uh, Jesus resisted family control, didn't he? When they came to him and said, hey, Jesus, your mother is here. Do you know what that meant? You better get up and go and talk to her. She's your mother. What does Jesus say? Who's my mother? (gasps) Who's my mother? Who are my brothers? Who are my sisters? Those who obey the Lord. They're my mother and brothers and sisters. See, Jesus wants to set us free from family control. Religious spirit, legalism, and the doctrine of demons. Oh, guys, there's so much that we could unpack here. But how do we break strongholds? Bringing this into land. Number one, we need to repent. Okay? We need to repent of wrong thinking. What does repentance mean? It means turning away. It means change your thinking. It means think differently. Okay, so I'm beginning to say, God, I'm so sorry for thinking that way. God, I'm struggling with rejection. God, I'm so sorry for thinking, for believing the lie that I am rejected. God, I'm so sorry for living in that reality. God, I turn towards you and I choose to believe that I am loved, deeply beloved, that I am accepted, that I'm chosen, that you have adopted me into your family, that you've forgiven me, that I can walk in a new relationship where I have no insecurity and no fear of rejection. I don't need to reject myself because what you've made in me is beautiful and wonderful. This is your creation right here. And so I'm not rejected. I will accept myself. I will accept all that you've said. So we begin to apply uh, repentance through changing our thinking, confessing it as sin, and walking away from it. In some of these things, as I said, we need to renounce them. We need to name it as evil before the Lord and refuse to have anything to do with it. We might need deliverance. We might need to have uh, oppressing spirits released from us, and we certainly need to teach. We need to believe right things about ourselves. So in conclusion, if you believe in Jesus, if you have given your life over to him, freedom is your birthright. And if you have not given your life over to Jesus, Jesus says, come to me, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Jesus speaks to us and says, listen, you can lay down your striving. You can lay down all those things and you can come and you can receive from me because I'm gentle. Jesus said, 1 John 3 verse 8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the evil one. 
I wonder whether we could just stand. I'm just going to invite the Holy Spirit to come.